Good afternoon, Dennis Stewart. How are you for another week? Dave, I'm very well, very well indeed. How are you? Very good. We had an interesting one last week mm. because we told we talked about growing our own herbs we did. locally, we did. and you had an incredible response to that. It was one of the most interesting and vibrant responses that I've had for some time, which indicates there's a fascination with the potential in growing medicinal herbs. And what I want to do today is just mention another text for people that note what I say so that people can get hold of this to support the book that I mentioned last week. And again, I say that people who are interested in this topic, contact me at my rooms and I'll do my best to get you started. We'll talk further about that and also Mm. herbal teas. Look, I want to touch on herbal teas because herbal teas are the oldest, uh, most traditional, but yet interestingly, sometimes the most effective way of getting a benefit at a low cost. Herbs, Herbs don't have to be converted into sophisticated drug alternatives. The herbal infusion, the herbal tea is the oldest way of using a herb and I want to refer to some of the most important herbal teas, particularly as used in Europe, particularly in Germany, where some of those teas are still part of mainline medical treatment. Now, if I remember carefully, last week we spoke about a book called Herbs as a Cash Crop. We did, Dave. It was the text that I mentioned was, uh, was written by Richard Allen Miller. I'll say that again for listeners. A text written by the American writer Richard Allen Miller entitled Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop published by Acres. I found that book years ago as one of the most important starting references for people interested in looking seriously at cultivating medicinal herbs. But today, I'd also like to mention a second book for those many listeners that showed great interest in this topic. Uh, The second book that I'd like to mention, and I'll go slowly so that those interested in the topic of growing herbs can note the name of the book. The name of the book is entitled Pay Dirt. I'll say it again, pay dirt, how to raise and sell herbs and produce for serious cash. Pay dirt, how to raise and sell herbs and produce for serious cash. Written by the American lady, Mimi, M-I-M-I, Luberman, L-U-E-B-B-E-R-M-A-N-N. I'll say it again, L-U-E-B-B-E-R-M-A-N-N. Now, if listeners are interested in getting more information on that book, again, drop me a line, self-addressed envelope, and I'll reply to you and give you further information on this book, on Richard Allen Miller's book, Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop, and other information that I might be able to help you in getting started in this fascinating possibility of not just using herbs, but growing herbs. All right, that is great. And we'll revisit that before we finish today. Let's go to Curry. Curry, Barry's waiting patiently. Hello, Barry. How are you, mate? Hello, Barry. How are you, Dan? Good. I'm very well, Barry. How are you today? Uh, I'm real good. Yes. What's well, happening? I've got... Uh, I take fusamide for my swelling yeah. liquids. Yes, that's a diuretic, yes. Yeah, and I've got uh, salitis. Cellulitis, yes. Uh, And I was just wondering if there's anything I can take other than these pills. Okay. Look, with cellulitis, Barry, that's a pretty dangerous condition, and your doctor would have you on uh, antibiotics for that, and that's an important treatment because cellulitis is usually associated with a serious infection that's affected the bloodstream. So you'd be well advised to stay with the antibiotics the doctor has prescribed for you until that course of treatment is finished. But then what I suggest you do is discuss with your doctor the possibility 
of going on to what are called bioflavonoids. Can you write that down? Bioflavonoids. Bioflavonoids. Now mention that because he would know that there is one bioflavonoid called rutin, R-U-T-I-N, which is very useful, very useful in helping promote peripheral circulation and particularly improvement in lymphatic circulation. So what I would say is stay with what your doctor's doing. That's absolutely necessary. I know a lot about uh, cellulitis. Get that resolved, but talk to your good doctor about putting yourself on bioflavonoids as perhaps some, right. something that will help your peripheral circulatory problem. All right. Okay, mate. All the best, Barry. Thank you, Barry. Good man, Barry. Thank you so much for your call today, and we hope that goes well for you. Let's go to Margaret at Garden Suburb. Margaret. Yes, I'm I'm after some information on this olive leaf compound or capsules. Yes, olive leaf. Yes. Olive leaf is variously uh, promoted in various products. Um, it, It has come into its popularity in only the last couple of decades. Interestingly, um, uh, olive leaf is promoted and, and presented as a useful agent to build up a resistance to various uh, infections, particularly the chronic tendency to get recurrent viral infections. So in many ways, it, it seeks to do what the American herb echinacea was always claimed to do, that is to support the body's immune system. Um, so essentially it would be something that would be taken for a person, say, that was concerned about getting uh, winter flus and viruses or someone who was uh, prone to ongoing infections of various forms. It is not an antibiotic and should not be seen as an alternative antibiotic. It is a useful agent of recent origin and promotion to promote perhaps improved immune response. Uh, What I would say, a lot of people don't also realise that um, the olive leaf... Uh, contains a, a chemical constituent known as oleorupin. And interestingly, that has some very, very mild antihypertensive or blood pressure-lowering properties. So uh, I'm always a little bit cautious about people taking uh, olive leaf without some understanding that perhaps if they're on blood pressure medication, they need to ensure that by using olive leaf there is not some alteration in their blood pressure readings. It's not likely, but it is promoted and used in Europe as a plant-based agent, not so much to promote improved immunology, but rather to help uh, people in the management of their blood pressure. So I'm always a bit reserved, as I've said, about people using olive leaf without an understanding that if they're on critical blood pressure management, they need to be sure that using olive leaf for a long period of time in serious medical dosages doesn't cause some alteration in their reading. Okay, because I, I started taking it because I couldn't get over the flu. Yes. And but I'm also on blood pressure medication. But I'm but I'm finding that I'm very um, not. I wouldn't say giddy, but uh, uncertain. Heady. Uncertain. Yeah. Uncertain. Look, yes. Look, it, it may not be related to olive leaf because. Even though I have said that it may have some effect on blood pressure, you would have to be on it in serious medicinal dosages for some time. Um, But nevertheless, if you are feeling uncertain, um, if I were in your situation, if I were in your situation, I would be perhaps pausing 
and seeing if by curtailing the usage of it, the, the giddiness or the vertigo or the uncertainty went away. It probably isn't related to it. I don't know too many cases that have uh, act, reacted in the way that I think is possible, but just see what happens. Hello to Steve from Maryland. A little bit of a lack of saliva in the mouth, Steve, you'd like to talk to Dennis about. Yeah, it's my relation with my wife. Hi, Dennis, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good, thank you. Going back almost 12 months ago, my wife mm. had a dental procedure yes. that required antibiotics. Yes. And almost immediately after that, she was uh, complaining about an extremely dry mouth, which she, at that particular point of time, related to the dental procedure. She went back to the dentist probably at least four or five times uh, subsequently to her general practitioner at least three or four times uh, complaining about the dry mouth, etc. Yes. Um, ultimately, only recently, she's seen a specialist. Yes. Who has sent her for test and don't ask me for the medical sort of uh, terminology that I, I, you know, I, I don't understand. But what the results come back, uh, they said that her mouth was having difficulty producing natural saliva. saliva. In, partic- in, in particular, mm-hmm. one thing my wife has noticed, uh, she's had the camera down uh, recently, yes, and, yes, uh, yes. and which confirmed there was nothing wrong. Yes, good. Uh, right. but, but what she's noticed in particular, uh, she eats a bit of a small, even a small bit of chocolate, for example. Yes. It triggers it off. So um, the, 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 the doctor said to just use the, the mouth spray, the biotin, et cetera, so they've confirmed there's nothing wrong, but they've, but obviously it would appear some sort of sugar intolerance. So one of any uh, product you could suggest or recommend it might assist with the dry mouth, Dennis. Well, what we'd be looking at here is the potential of a group of herbs that are known as sialagogues. Now, sialagogues relate to the potential of some substances to promote improvement in the secretion of saliva. Now, there's obviously limit limitations to what sialagogues can do. Obviously there are some conditions, uh, Sjogren's syndrome and others, that are very, very intractable and, and don't respond well to, to the natural approaches that I'm going to talk about. But um, if, it is, um, you know, if your wife is keen to try something, the best thing to do is to use what are called bitter herbs, B-I-T-T-E-R. Now any herbalist will know that bitter herbs are used to promote the whole secretory activity of the stomach and the salivary glands and are popularly used to promote appetite, not that in this case this is probably necessary, but improve the whole digestive activity from the stomach right through to the salivary glands. What I suggest you do, where do you live? You live... In Maryland, Dennis. Okay. Well, look, there's a preparation called tincture of gentian, G-E-N-T-I-A-N, now don't G-E-N-T-I-A-N, gentian, tincture yes. of gentian. Now don't confuse that with gentian violet. They're quite different products. But gentian is the name of a medicinal herb. It's a European herb. Uh, Gentiana lutea is its botanical name. And it is very, very frequently used, particularly again in traditional European herbal medicine, to rekindle, if you like, and that's not a bad term, to rekindle the digestive juices from the uh, gut upwards. So I would be suggesting your wife procure some tincture of gentian and begin by taking about 10 to 15 drops of that in water about 20 minutes before you normally have a meal. That's a good starting base. And if you, if you were to have difficulty in getting hold of it, 
You could obviously get it from my dispensary at Alma Road. And I can't know that is. So oh, do you? Uh, okay. Now, do so. So, so we'd ask, we'd go in and ask for ge- that t- t- tincture of gentian. Now, I'll be consulting on Monday. If you come in on Monday, I'll have a quick word with you and also give you some information to read okay, on, the, do that, on the potential I'll, of bitters. I appreciate that. I'll call in your property, your promise on Monday. That'll be fine. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good on you, Steve. And we've got Colin joining us now from Western. Hello, Colin. Hello. Um, I was wondering, um, I take a little sip of apple cider vinegar yes. each day. Yes. Um, supposed to be good for your the germs in your gut or something. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've been told it's supposed to have the mother in it. Do you know anything about that? Well, what they say about cider vinegar, as I understand it, is that the crude cider vinegar has a degree of sediment that tends to make it go a little bit cloudy. From what I understand, that is what they mean by the mother in it. But to me, um, cider vinegar is cider vinegar. And I'm not too concerned about whether the, whether it has this mother characteristic or not. Cider vinegar is cider vinegar. So whatever form you're using, um, I would say it's as good as any other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've got a bottle of both here, and, and it is cloudy, the one yeah. with the mother correct, in it. Correct, correct. Yeah. Now, that, that's, that's what you'd call the, the, the traditional interpretation of cider vinegar. But from a, a, scientific or, a scientific or chemical perspective, it's difficult to differentiate. Yeah. I was just wondering, you know, it's just that someone was telling me about it. Well, look, have you ever, have you ever read the little book called Folk Medicine by Dr. Jarvis, J-A-R? No. Well, look, go to your local library, and I say this to listeners generally who might be interested in, um, in cider vinegar. A lot of people use it, and a lot of people don't realise that its reputation and popularity was based on the work of an American medical practitioner, a Dr. Jarvis, who was working in a place called Vermont in the backwoods of, um, of, of, of that state. And he noticed that particularly the community that he was working in used cider vinegar both for themselves and for their animals, and that both they and their animals were remarkably healthier than the normal population. And so he wrote the book, Folk Medicine. It's not a book that's readily available. Most libraries would be able to get it in. It's a very, very good read. Folk Medicine by Dr. Jarvis, which talks about the benefits of cider vinegar, molasses and things like that. And joining us now from Cardiff South, waiting patiently. Hello, Pete. How are you? Hello, Peter. G'day, how are you? I'm well. I just uh, just wonder whether you've got any sort of uh, permanent uh, ways of getting rid of hiatus hernia. Now, look, hiatus hernia is, is a condition that uh, is there. Sometimes it uh, is treated medically by way of a surgical procedure, but the best that herbal medicine can do is offer some buffering substances. And if I had a hiatus hernia that was symptomatic and causing me some distress, I would be putting myself straight away onto some slippery elm. Slippery elm? Slippery elm. It won't cure yep. the problem. It won't cure the problem, but it can buffer some of the symptoms of distress, acidity and reflux that can sometimes come with that condition. Rightio. Would you suggest that that's better than, say, I've got, I'm taking Losec at the moment. Okay. Losec is, is standard medical treatment and, and a good medication for that condition in as much that it lowers the level of, of hydrochloric acid in the stomach. Taking Slippery Elm in conjunction with it won't clash with it. Slippery Elm works 
quite differently. Slippery elm works as a protective agent. It has a substance in it called mucilage, which as it moves through the gastrointestinal tract provides a transitory barrier on inflamed surfaces, in the case of hiatus, lessening some of the symptoms that have called for the medication that you're taking from your doctor. So in my opinion, it's a very good adjunct uh, to use for those gut conditions. And as I said, in my opinion, it can't clash. And I always see slippery elm essentially as a medicinal food. And what I suggest you do is try wherever possible in the use of slippery elm, and I say this to listeners generally, try to get used to using it in its crude form, taken as as a powder in various ways. Um, In my opinion, you get the best results uh, using it as a crude powder, which can be purchased from your health food store. We need to support our health food stores. Uh, From your health food store, do that, uh, and I think you'll get a better result. Right, Dan. Thanks very much. Thank you. Let's have a talk for a moment about herbal teas. Do they work? Can they help you? They do work. And this is what people need to appreciate, that the oldest way of using a herb was to convert that herb into an infusion or what we call a herbal tea. Now, Dave, I have lectured from a book entitled Herbal Medicine by the German medical practitioner, Dr. Rudolf Weiss. I've lectured from that book for at least 25 years. And Dr. Weiss was not only a brilliant medical practitioner, but also a brilliant medical herbalist or phytotherapist, as they're technically termed in Europe. And in Weiss's book, very many formulations are presented basically as crude herbal tea preparations. For instance, most people wouldn't realise that the herb chamomile which is so frequently considered to be a herb that makes you sleep easier or is good for kids that are experiencing symptoms at night time, that herb is not popularly used in that way in Europe. That herb is used much more seriously for addressing gut conditions. And chamomile is used as a remedy with a recognised anti-inflammatory action that makes it a very important adjunct for managing inflamed and even ulcerous conditions of the gastrointestinal tract, and Weiss in his book recommends it to be taken as an ongoing herbal tea, basically a herbal tea where the chamomile is put into a cup, a couple of tea bags, say, two to three tea bags, uh, a cup of herbal tea is made, and that is taken three to four times across the day, ideally between meals, and taken for a long period of time. And I read Vice this morning because before I came away for the program to reinforce my understanding of it. And there is no doubt that used in this way as a simple herbal tea, chamomile can work wonders on inflamed gut conditions and even ulcerative gut conditions. And as I said to that previous person about the role of slippery elm in supporting the drug Losec, so in my opinion, the ongoing use of chamomile as a herbal tea could be a remarkable remedy for people that are experiencing peptic ulcers and are experiencing recurring peptic ulcers or any other inflammatory condition that affects the gut. There's a classic example of how a popular, probably the most popular herb in European herbal medicine is chamomile. There is an excellent example of how that herb is used as a simple herbal tea, three to four times a day, taken chronically, as we would call it, over a long period of time for people that get recurrent gastrointestinal inflammations, even potential ulcerations. Chamomile, I come back to it as a simple 
herbal tea is a very useful way for improving the health of the gut wall. Dennis, what other herbal teas do you frequently oh, recommend? Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, we frequently get um, questions or calls from uh, people that are experiencing nauseous conditions. This time of the year, interestingly, a lot of Year 12 kids start to experience what we used to call in the old days nervous dyspepsia. Uh, High-achieving kids putting themselves under a lot of pressure. Uh, the HSC's coming up. They're working hard at it. And sometimes you get uh, people presenting, even as patients, or talking about the way in which when they wake up in the morning, their gut, I call it, functions like a concrete mixer. It's rumbling, and with it, there is a degree of dyspepsia and, and, and even the potential for vomiting. One of the best approaches for that, one of the best approaches for that, Dave, is the use of a harmless herb called black whorehound. Not white whorehound, mm -hmm. but black whorehound, botanically known as Bolotta nigra. So for nauseous conditions, um, we recommend the safe use of that remarkable herb as a herbal tea, taken safely, and it will lessen or calm down, particularly in functional nauseous conditions, as we say something like what we used to call nervous dyspepsia. There are two teas. I could talk all day mm. about teas that work and are inexpensive because, Dave, you, the, 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 the client or the patient, becomes the manufacturer. When you're using a herbal tea, you're bypassing all the costs associated with encapsulation, tableting, and sophisticated preparations. So at this late stage of my career, late stage of my career, I'm more than ever recommending to people to harness the benefit of the herb in its oldest and most simplest form, to get away from high-cost natural therapy products. It's already reaching the stage where many people can't afford it. Finished herbal medicine products are very expensive, but if we're using herbs in their simple form, the patient becomes the manufacturer. They can get a good result, as I've said, with chamomile and black whorehound, a good result inexpensively. And we've got Christine from Newcastle East waiting patiently for us. Good afternoon, Christine. Good afternoon. Um, yes, Dennis, I've been on um, antidepressants for a long, long time. Yes, yes, yes. But I just can't seem to shake this depression that I've been in for many years. And yes. um, I'm very, very anxious all the time. And yes. um, now when I go out, or anyway, I went out the other day and that, and I got very dizzy and and uh, I couldn't walk a straight line. And uh, they think I've got Parkinson's, but they're not sure, but I'm on the okay. tablet anyway. Okay. And I have got diabetes. Yes. And um, so I, I just, um, and I'm just lost. I don't know what to do or think. Yes. And, Look, and I am on a tablet called um, um, Panadine Fort. Of course. Of which course. I've been on it for many years. And yes. people say that can make you very... Depressed? I don't know. I'm just wondering maybe if I come and see you or... Look, in your situation, obviously your condition is very complex and any any recommendations given by way of a 20-second bit of advice on radio would be superfluous and potentially problematical. I think that what I'd be doing, if I were in your situation, is first of all having a word with your general practitioner about your present concern, your state of health, the symptoms that you're experiencing, and getting him uh, to review your treatment to see if there's anything in your treatment that can be altered, your medication, uh, say, streamlined, even if it means your GP referring you 
to say a pharmacist to get a review of the medication you're taking to ensure that none of that perhaps is having an effect in the way that you spoke about. I'd be doing that first. I would caution you, I would caution you about doing anything that might interfere with the medications that you're presently on. You obviously need to be on them. But I'm sure, let me emphasise, I'm sure that with the right discussion initiated, some of your concerns can be alleviated and your treatment can be better tailored to, to, to what you expect. Oh, that's good, Dennis. Now, there's one more question I've got to ask yes. you. It's not about me, it's about my husband. Yes. He's 88. Yes. And he's had, like, um, scabs on his legs for a long time. Yes. They bleed and everything. But yes. He, he used your ointment, you know, the... Uh, the um, GA cream? Yeah. Yes. And his legs, he says it's getting better, but now and again he'll get a, a, a sharp pain in his leg, like here, there, and yes. it'll just hit him. Yes. Now, is, is your husband diabetic? No. Okay. The reason I ask that is those sharp pains could be associated with what we call peripheral neuropathy, which is a condition that asserts itself potentially in people that are diabetic, but can also be a symptom that develops uh, of its own as we get older. It sounds like a neuropathy condition, which I would um, suggest you get looked at. The other thing you have to be cautious of is that the, the lesions on his legs, that they are not infected because they might be causing also some shooting pains. Get it looked at first. If that is, if that is clear and there is no infection there, I suggest that what you do to speed up the resolution of the so-called sores on your husband's legs is to use the GA with chamomile in it. And you write that down? GA with chamomile in it. That's a preparation that I've recently developed which is useful for promoting uh, healing and slow healing um, lesions in conjunction with the GA. It's called GA with chamomile. That might be useful um, if the condition is just related to the slowness of the healing of those lesions. Yes. All right, then. Thank you very much. Okay. Steve joining us now from Curry. Curry, good afternoon to you, Steve. Hey, um, hey Dennis. How are you? I'm well, Steve. How are you? Really well, thank Good, good, good. Dennis, I'm a fan of your show and love listening to you. Thank you. Um, Dennis, I went and had a 54K check at the doctors and had blood tests done a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And one thing came back was high cholesterol, which really surprised me given mm-hmm. my diet. I had mm-hmm. a lot of fat and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the blood came back at about 8.5. Okay. And, and I was wondering what sort of herbal medicine I can take to reduce it apart from watching my diet and exercise. Okay. Interestingly, um, the association of diet to cholesterol is becoming um, less and less certain. There was a lot of emphasis years ago that if you cut out this food and cut out that food, particularly Mm -hmm. saturated fats, that that would impact uh, dramatically on cholesterol levels. I think that whole thing has been reviewed somewhat, and we realise now that some people are programmed to have higher cholesterol levels just by virtue of what they've brought with them from their genetic background. So whilst I'm not disputing the significance and importance of diet generally, um, I've not seen it in recent times emphasised as being primary therapy. So you've got to look at other ways of helping to bring this down. Now, I'll ask a few questions. Are you you on blood pressure medication? No, I'm not. Okay. Are you diabetic? No. Okay. And the reason I ask that is that um, the, the trilogy of high cholesterol levels, um, high blood sugar levels, 
and high blood pressure levels is really quite a bad combination. But fortunately, you haven't got those. Did your doctor suggest you go on to a statin? Uh, yes, I am. I'm on just a, a small five millimetre tablet once a day. Okay. Um, he didn't want to give me any stronger because he, I, cause I convinced him with diet and exercise, everything would be fine. But okay. obviously, I've got that wrong. Well, I'm not saying you've got it wrong. They, they, it would make a contribution, but I don't think... I could see it these days as primary therapy, but you've got a good doctor working with you who's prepared for you to make some modifications. Stay with the 5MG, but one of the best things you can do to augment this low dose of the statin you're on, um, principle number one, principle number one, I believe, after my research and study, that people taking statins, whether it be a low dose or a high dose, should go on to coenzyme Q10. So... Go on to coenzyme Q10, read up why it's useful. But the other thing is there are a group of substances called phytosterols, P-H-Y-T-O, phytosterols, S-T-E-R-O-L-S. These are products that are useful in lessening what we might colloquially refer to as the reabsorption of cholesterol. And appended to your low dose of the statin that you're taking, they provide another way of helping move your cholesterol downwards. So I would be going to your health food store. You live at Curry, do you, or where are you at? Well, you probably have to whip up to um, see Mark Brown in Cessnock or even your pharmacy. But uh, phytosterols, um, there's a product called Cholesterol Manager. It represents what I'm talking about. Another product is called Basicol. Both those products have what are, uh, what are called phytosterols, which in your research you will see are products, plant-based, which have the potential to help lower cholesterol levels. Last call for the day is Anne from Mount Hutton. Hello, Anne. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dennis. Just a lady with the, mouth, the dry mouth. Yes. I'm wondering whether it's medication she's taking because I have the same problem, but I take three prescription tablets and they're causing my dry mouth. Yes, well, look, that anything's a possibility. I would think that in as much that the lady had been uh, investigated quite widely uh, on this issue that that would have been looked into. I would like to think that, but your point is valid, and I would reiterate and, and confirm and coincide with your sentiments that if you are taking any medication of any form and you have an unusual symptom that can't be understood, always uh, check out the medication you're taking, either with the prescribing doctor or with the pharmacist. Good point. I'm glad you rang. Time is nearly beaten us. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping. The book. We're very interested in All the right. cash crop, yeah, in growing our own herbs. I want to keep this going. A lot of interest, Dave. What's the book called? The book is entitled Pay Dirt, and it's written by Mimi Luberman, L-U-E-B-B-E-R-M-A-N-N, Pay Dirt, How to Raise and Sell Herbs and Produce for Serious Cash. Great book for those many listeners that are interested on the little plots of land around the place in growing medicinal herbs. Before we go, we'll get a photocopy of the cover from Sally at the front desk, and if people call, we can quote as oh, you quote from the cover. That's great. And, of course, thank you so much for today. As always, Dennis, so thank good you, to Dave. have you with us. Thank we do you. that every Friday. It's uh, Dennis Stewart here with Health Naturally at 2NURFM. Thank you so much for all your calls today. We, uh, we love your input into the program and talking today about the herb cash crop. More details, we'll have that at the front desk and also talking about herbal teas today.